0: As I was going preparing this message this week, I felt a little guilty about it. I feel like, you know, we spend so much time on the tongue and so much time on conflict among believers. Maybe we're just overdoing this a little bit. And then I began to look at the world around me and realize how uncivil the world is around us. I mean, we live in a world that is uh, growing more uncivil by the day. Uh, and if you watch much TV or whatever, you'll see that most of the TV shows and most of what you see going on is about conflict, people fighting with each other, and, and it's so much about this contention and I really believe that's the real possibility of that creeping into the church. We just so, are so surrounded by that. We begin to think that's how life goes. We just have conflict with each other and create conflict with each other just to, to, to be on a, a normal plane. And so I realize that, you know, in, in this church, we don't have a lot of that going on, but we are not, not susceptible to it. It could happen in this place. If we're not careful, uh, Satan can get in and begin to create conflict among us as well. So I think this is a time well spent, even though it might get a little tedious at times to keep hearing it over and over. I think there's time well spent as we are reinforced again of how God wants us to get along with each other. Uh, being aware of God's grace is a game changer, by the way. When you think about this conflict thing, if you have an awareness of just how much God has given you that you don't deserve, which is everything, uh, it changes your perspective entirely. Uh, that's true of lost people and saved people alike. I know we can't make blanket statements when it comes to God's truth because there's so much involved in, in what God's work on this earth and so forth, but I'm going to come as close as I can to making a blanket statement without going too far. A person really doesn't need to know anything more spiritually if they're fully aware of God's grace. Really, if if you know God's grace, you pretty much know the whole story. There's not a whole lot more to add to that. Uh, Whether you knew it or not at the time when you got saved, your salvation occurred because you became aware of God's grace. That's why you got saved. Uh, You became aware of what God had done for you that you didn't deserve in any way, shape, or form. If you've been through a difficult time and you have found peace during that difficult time in the midst of what's going on, that happened to you because you are aware consciously or unconsciously of God's grace. You realize that God never brings anything into your life without having a purpose for it. His purpose is always to grow you to be more like Jesus Christ. And so that difficult time, even though it was a very difficult time, you may still be in it. This is a demonstration to you of God's grace because he's growing you and working you to make you more like him. God does not concern him, have to concern himself with growing you spiritually. That's not his job, really. But he does that because out of his grace, he wants us to grow and gives us every opportunity to do that. And so we look at James chapter 4 and verse 6. It says there, but he giveth more grace. What a great thing that is. God gives more grace. And specifically in the context of what James is talking about here, if you are at peace with your brothers and sisters around you, If you personally have no disagreement, no dissension at all in the body of Christ, that is true because you're aware of the grace of God. You realize that no matter what some other believer has, what they may do to you or say about you, it cannot compare in any way or contradict what God has given to you by his grace. And that grace just puts everything in perspective. Everything that goes on around you, uh, the things that people do to us might can never remove us from the grace of God. It's always there. The wonderful grace of Jesus is always available, always there, always operating. Uh, you may know this quote by John Newton, the writer of the song Amazing Grace. Uh, he considered uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 10. The verse says, but by, grace, by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. Here's what John Newton said about that verse. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> That's a fantastic quote. If we can make those words the focus of our lives, we will handle anything that life brings and won't have any problems with anybody. I'm not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> Testimony of every believer, saved believer in this place. You say, what were you? What are you? Well, as the old cathedral song said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> When I stood condemned to death, he took my place. Now I live and breathe in freedom with each breath of life I take, loved and forgiven. I'm back with the living. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. (laughs) That's my testimony. That's your testimony. And if you know that, every problem you have on this earth is small by comparison. It just doesn't match up. Now look at verse 6 again, if you would, and keep reading what James says here. He says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble, under the humble. God resisteth the proud, but giveth great grace unto the humble. There are wars and fightings among us. Why would that be? It's because of lust, He's told us. Where does lust come from? Where, rather, what does lust lead to? Lust leads to envy. And where does envy come from? Well, not a surprise to us, since James mentions this uh, here as the foundation of every sin that's ever been committed. uh, Lust and envy come from pride. That's the base of it. Envy is the result of us believing that we deserve something that someone else has. (laughs) I deserve that. They may or may not, but I know that I do. That's pride. Whenever I believe that I deserve something, pride is at the heart of it. Because, again, all I deserve is a devil's hell. I don't deserve anything else but that. (laughs) We spoke earlier. book uh, spoke of this earlier in this series. Uh, I only mentioned it to you today. God resists the proud. What that means is God pushes back on the proud. God fights against the proud. God stands in the way of the proud. The proud don't get what they do want, and they get a great deal of what they don't want because God resists them. So, do you want God to get in your way? Uh, just let your pride run the show. Uh, do you want your desires and your plans? your aspirations to turn to dust, just start thinking that you deserve them or that you're qualified for them or that you have some sort of credential that's needed to get those things however you perceive it. That thinking will almost guarantee you that God's going to stand in your way and resist you every step of the way with every move that you make. And to put it in the context here if we allow our pride to cause us to envy what some other believer has to the point where I create a conflict with them as a result, I have guaranteed that I'm no longer just in conflict with that other believer. I have now invited God into the picture as well and to fight every move I make and every plan I set up and every desire that I have. If I choose to allow my pride to get involved, I've asked God to begin to resist me. If I create a conflict with another believer, I see clearly here, and we see in other scripture as well, that we are no longer fighting that other believer. I'm fighting God himself. If I create a conflict with any believer in this place, I've brought God into the picture, and I'm now fighting him. And we have enough biblical evidence, as well as evidence outside of that, that makes it clear, I will never win a battle with God. I'll never win it. I can't. There's no way possible. In fact, I'm going to wind up bruised and battered and bloodied if I choose to take him on. It's a stupid thing to do. It's a ridiculous thing to do. And I take him on every time I create conflict with another believer in the body of Christ. It's a very sobering thought to me to realize that God gets involved with those conflicts, and that should reduce the conflict among those of us who understand who God is and how powerful he is and how tenacious he is. And by that I mean if you get into a conflict with God, he's not going to give up until it's done, until it's over, until I've learned my lesson. Until his plan is accomplished, God's just going to keep at it. He's just going to keep at it. And by the way, just so you know, in case you have forgotten, God always wins. (laughs) He's never lost a battle. He always wins. Now, look at the other side of that if you would. Look at that verse again. God resisteth the proud, but, I love the but, giveth grace unto the humble. God gives grace unto the humble. Now, I think there's two ways to look at that and be true to Scripture as we do it. First of all, God gives grace to the humble. If a person does not feel that they deserve what someone else has, if they are satisfied with whatever God gives to them, and if they're not allowing their envy to run the show, they are clearly aware of God's grace. And by being aware of God's grace in response to that, God increases their awareness of his grace. He magnifies that awareness. God increases his blessings upon them. God overwhelms them with just how good he is, even though they know and he knows they don't deserve any of it. But God says, if you're aware of my grace and operate within that grace, I'm going to give you more grace. I'm going to overwhelm you with my grace. A humble attitude prompts God to give that person an extra dose of the awareness of the grace he provides. And that grace makes it even more difficult for envy to have any part in what that believer does or how they think. But I think it's another way to look at that as well when it talks about God giving grace to the humble. When a believer is attacked by another believer, and the attacked believer is humble, has no prideful attitude that would instigate that attack, this verse tells us God gives grace to that one who's been attacked. God provides an extra dose of his goodness to them as a result. And that response starts with a humble attitude in that one who's been attacked. And it's increased by God by giving them additional grace to help them manage whatever conflict they're going through. And the overriding principle here is that God honors humility and God hates pride. Mark that down. Remember that. Don't ever forget. God honors humility and God hates pride. So if I want the full blessing of God, I need to do what Paul told me in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul says, for I say through the grace given unto me. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Be smart about it. Be serious about it. God says, think not more of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. What I need to do, and I'm going to suggest probably you need to do this as well, is get a realistic, accurate view of yourself. Just see yourself for how you really are. Just get all the warts and bumps and all the rest. Of it. Just get that whole picture. See how you really are. And that, based on that view, then realize you are nothing more than a worthless sinner saved by the grace of God. And if I hold on to that as my starting point, I will realize that anything has come from him and everything that I have has come from him. And I have no effort to lay claim to any of it. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Everything you have is because of him. Everything. There's not one thing in your life that you got on your own. He gave it to you. Now, he might have gotten, given you the ability to do it. Uh, praise God, for example, like the Lord has given Steve a good job, but that wasn't anything to do with him. God gave him that. He's the recipient of that grace. That's how it works. That's how it works. Uh, Steve may have skills and abilities that help, but the final end result of that is God gave him the skills and abilities as well. It's all about him. It's all about God. Get an accurate view of yourself. Realize that nothing that you have has come from anywhere else but from him. And if I keep that view, that's going to combat pride in my life. It's going to eliminate any kind of conflict with another believer. I won't initiate any conflict with anybody. I'm too busy thanking God for how much he's given to me. (laughs) Why would I worry about what anybody else has? It wouldn't make any difference whatsoever. Look at verse 7. Let's read read those two verses together. Verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now, therefore, always points back to the verse prior to it. So James says, because of all this grace God has given you, therefore, submit yourself to God. You see, folks, pride is an issue of submission. That's the issue. Pride is an issue of submission. Wars and fightings occur because there's an issue with submission. Those things come from the fact that we perceive that we have been wronged in some way. And we decide we're going to handle that thing in our way, on our own, and leave God out of it. And that's why those battles begin. The wrong may be real. You may truly have been wronged. But it's not your battle. I hope you remember the verse we read a few weeks ago, Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. God says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. (laughs) Let him handle it. It's his battle. If you're attacked, uh, you may be unjustifiably attacked and you may feel the need that you have to let that other person know exactly what they've done to you and how they've disrespected you or whatever it might say. God says, just put that all aside and let me handle it. (laughs) Just let me handle it. God lets us know that we are to allow him to manage our concerns and we are not to get involved in them. And we see that response very clearly as Jesus Christ hung on that cross. First uh, Peter two twenty three says who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. As he hung on that cross, as they were spitting on him and all that they were doing to him, he committed that thing all to God. <laughs> Lord, you take care of this thing. So you see, if I take it on to myself. If I get involved in the conflict and try to respond to it myself, I'm not responding as Jesus Christ would respond. And therefore, I'm not submitted to his plan. And therefore, I'm following my own plan. And that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. Now, I know we're not in the Old Testament. And therefore, we're not required to follow commands for salvation. Uh, We don't have to worry about any command except the command to trust Jesus Christ to, to get saved. And we don't have to follow any commands to keep ourselves saved. A believer could trust Jesus Christ as Savior and disregard everything the Bible says after that and still go to heaven. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I don't think that's a very smart idea, but a person could do that. Theoretically, a person can do that. That does not mean there aren't commands in the word of God for us to follow. Even though our salvation is not dependent upon them, God still has given us some commands. Verse 7 is a command from God. He says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. That's a command. Now, in spite of how many believers might live their lives differently, we mentioned last Sunday, in spite of the fact that so many have this new freedom, uh, believers are exercising this response to what they call legalism, God commands us to submit to him. That is a command from the Father himself. God says, submit, submit. And what that means in its very simplest form is, in every area of your life, from the smallest decision to the largest one, God is in charge, and His way is the only way. That's submission. Now, I believe that, as I said, that connects to verse six, where God resisteth the proud. And the clearest example of that I can give you is from uh, when Satan decided that he wanted to be a lot—he was be a lot better uh, in the role of God than God would. So he decided he's going to ascend above God. Uh, hold your Bible there, finger there, rather in James, and go to Isaiah chapter fourteen. You probably know these passages well, but I think it's such a great example of what James is talking about here. Satan says, you know what? I could do God better than God can. I'd be a whole lot better God than he is. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to push myself over God. I'm going to become God instead. Now, as crazy as that is, that's exactly what Satan thought. Isaiah chapter 14, look at verse 13. This is speaking of what, I, what uh, Satan said in his heart uh, as he uh, planned his overthrow. For thou hast said in thine heart... I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What do you hear in that, folks? Pride, 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 pride all the way through it. By the way, five times he says, I will. Five is the number of death in Scripture, just so you know. Here's God's response. Look at verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the size of the pit. In his pride, Satan refused to submit to God, and God's response was to resist him and bring him down to the pit. God resisteth the proud. There's a perfect example of that. And by the way, every time I refuse to submit to God's plan, every time I decide to go my own way and disregard something God has said to me in His Word, I'm replaying Satan's activity before His fall. I've fallen right into His line of thinking. God doesn't know as much as I do. I'd be better at this than God would. I can run my life better than God can. He doesn't know what He's doing. I know what I'm doing. I need to take control of this thing. That's Satan's plan. That's what He decided. I want to tell you something, folks. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else tonight, and I've said this to myself all week long, a child of God is a child of submission. A child of God is a child of submission. 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 A child of God only has one answer to God's instruction, and the answer is yes. <laughs> Whatever God says, you answer in the affirmative. Do you know anybody who is a yes-butter? A yes-butter? The answer is yes, but there's always some but to it, you know? There's always some qualification to it, some additional requirement or suggestion attached to that yes. Well, a believer who is a yes-butter is not a submissive believer. It can't be yes-but. It can be only yes. Lord, whatever you say, yes. Whatever I read in this word, yes. Whatever you tell me to do, yes. Without any qualification, without me adding anything at all to it. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you tonight, which probably isn't real pastoral. I always tremble and quake when I do these things, but, you know, you need to hear this stuff every so often. You probably done this, too. You just wouldn't say. I read something in God's Word, and the Holy Spirit convicts me about it. Uh, he addresses, addresses some behavior, some attitude in my life I'm involved in, addresses some behavior that I like to do that God has made clear he doesn't want me to do, addresses some believer I'm angry at, and God wants me to make it right. And because I don't want to do what he's telling me to do, or I don't want to stop doing what he says I shouldn't do, I start putting qualifications to it. I start putting other requirements to it. Well, I'm sure that God meant only in certain situations. And this one doesn't apply. I'm sure what he really means is no need to stop altogether. Just do it in moderation. I'm sure that's what he meant. I'm sure that he means if the opportunity presents itself, make it right. But if there's no opportunity, then just don't worry about it. (laughs) Now, when I find myself doing that, I am no longer submitting. That's no longer submission, folks. I am not submitting to God. I'm trying to make plans around what he's told me to do. When God reveals something to me in his word, the submissive response, the only submissive response that I can give is yes. (laughs) Yes. If that's what you say, that's what I'll do. The only way to respond without attaching anything else to it. Because I'm going to tell you, and I guess I'll just speak for myself again. I can come up with all sorts of reasons why God don't have to do what God tells me to do. I'm very resourceful at that. My flesh is very good at that. I can come up with all kinds of reasons why I don't need to do what God tells me. I could just need to leave that alone and say yes. Just say yes. And I can come up with all kinds of reasons as well why there's problems in the lives of believers and why there's problems in churches and why there's problems among believers today. But if we strip it all away, problems occur in every area of our life when I don't submit to God. When you submit, it clears it all away. But you see, if I have a stake in it, it's hard for me to submit. If I really want to see something happen, uh, it's difficult for me to say, okay, Lord, you take care of this. Because he might not handle it the way I want him to. In fact, most of the time he doesn't. When believers choose to go their own way and refuse to submit to God's plan, problems cannot help but occur. <laughs> You're just asking for it. I'm just asking for it. The reason Adam fell in the garden Because he thought he had a better plan than God did. And he pursued that plan, and now we're in the mess that we're in today. I don't know if we'll ever get it, folks. We need to get it. We cannot go against the plan of God and the standards that God has set and somehow think things are all going to work out. I don't care if that's in in your personal life or in your family or in your church or wherever. You can't go against the plan of God and think things are just going to go okay. They're not going to go okay. It's just not going to happen. If I want my life to have purpose, if I want my life to make sense, it starts by finding out what God's plan is and submitting myself to that plan. I've given you this quote before, but Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this, true success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. (laughs) Couldn't make it any clearer than that. True success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. And then he said, being faithful is being successful. That's good stuff. You could preach on that for a year. (laughs) Being faithful is being successful. If you are faithful, you're the greatest success in this world. Anything less than that, and you're a failure. (laughs) You're a failure. I've got a book. That book reveals God's plan to me. I've got the Spirit of God living inside me. That Spirit of God reveals God's plan to me. All that I have to do is submit myself to the plan and to the standards that he has set, and life will go exactly how God intended it to be. Now, I'll tell you, you may not get everything you want. In fact, I'm going to guarantee you, you're not going to get everything you want with that decision, at least as far as the flesh goes. But the benefits of submitting to God simply negate whatever we might see as a cost. Just submit. Just submit. Look at the verse again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, then what? Resist the devil. Submit to God, and then resist the devil. Now, a lot of implications here that I want to make uh, clear tonight. First of all, what that tells us is that everything that, Paul, that James rather has addressed in chapter 3, and also up to this point in chapter 4, the devil's at the root of it. If there's problems with the tongue, the devil's at the root of it. If there's problems within the body of Christ, the devil is at the root of it. He's at the root of it. What is the devil? The devil is the great divider. He likes to divide. Divide and conquer, that came from him. <laughs> that came from him. If he can get you busted up and split apart, he knows there's much less strength in the body of Christ through that. And so his entire goal in life is to bust the body of Christ up and create divisions among the body of Christ on whatever basis he does that to the point where you can get people fighting each other instead of fighting him. <laughs> That's how it works. So I submit to God and then I resist the devil. No matter what I might, how I might attempt to couch this, my actions is doing God's will and standing for what is right and i if it's causing conflict or division, or if it has the potential to do that, it's the devil's work. I know there are folks, I've met them, I know there are folks who bust up the body of Christ and think they're doing God's work when they do it. Because they're standing for what is right, or they're, you know, uh, getting sin out of the church, whatever they might think they're doing. They think they're doing the right thing by following God's will and so forth. If it's creating division and it's for non-biblical, non-doctrinal reasons, folks, it's of the devil. I won't make any apology for that, and I won't qualify that. (laughs) If it's not not on a biblical basis or a doctrinal basis, that division is of the devil. He's in charge of it. He's in charge of it. And I know folks also find all kinds of ways to make their ideas biblical. got to be very careful about that, too. (laughs) So submit to God, resist the devil. Good, godly, sincere, well-meaning people can be used to do the work of the devil. If they refuse to assess their own motives, if they refuse to assess the consequences of their behavior, if they refuse to see the harm they're doing uh, to the body of Christ by what they're doing, they can be as sincere and well-meaning as possible, but the devil's work is being done through them. That's the truth. God said, don't judge people, judge things. The things that we judge are the consequences of our actions. What happens when you do what you do? What's the effect? What's the outward effect when you do or say what you're going to do or going to say? Every believer needs to judge the consequences of their actions. What am I doing that may satisfy some need or desire that I have? But beyond that, what's the extended consequence? How is it not just satisfying me? How is it impacting others and the body of Christ? Listen to me, folks. Uh, This idea of submission includes with it the idea of denial. And that means there may be some things that I want that are okay for me to have, but if it's causing harm to the body of Christ, I don't get it. (laughs) I let it alone. Because it's going to cause division in the body of Christ, I make my concern the body of Christ. Unless I consider that as well, I open myself up to being an instrument to be used by the devil himself and do his work. That's the first implication. Here's the second one. I cannot resist the devil until I first submit myself to God. Now, that may seem very apparent, but sadly, many times that's not the case with us. Many times we as believers try to fight this war on our own. And we do that in two ways. Uh, Many believers oftentimes think that we can handle this battle in our own strength. It's not that big of a deal. I can handle this. They minimize Satan's power or they see themselves as super spiritual and able to handle him when he uh, appears in their life. Remember the words of Peter in first Peter, chapter five, verse eight. What's he called the devil? A roaring lion. (laughs) He said the devil is like a roaring lion. We've talked about this when we went through Peter. He's like a lion who hasn't been fed for days and days and days and is ready to eat whatever crosses his path. Now, let me ask you something. If that were the case, would you take him on by yourself? you got this African lion walking in here who hasn't been fed for days. Are you going to take him on yourself? (laughs) Well, feel free. I'm not going to be anywhere around to help you out. You're on your own on that one. (laughs) In the same way, folks, I don't care how spiritual we might be. We are not spiritual enough to handle him on our own. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, here's the second way believers choose to fight this spiritual battle on their own. They don't submit to God. (laughs) They don't submit to God. It's built in. Now, when I think about submitting to him, what I might think is that's for, you know, certain situations. In other words, when a situation comes up, I submit myself to God in that situation. I've got a moral issue or a spiritual choice to make. And so in response to that, I submit myself to God as I make that choice. Now, certainly that's part of it. Certainly do that for sure. But it goes beyond that. You see, there are no time restrictions or situational restrictions on our submission to God. Submission to God is something that we do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Always submitted to him. Because you see that you're always in a spiritual battle. It may be more apparent sometimes than others, uh, but apparent or not, the battle is always there. It's always around you somewhere. Satan or one of his henchmen will attack you at any moment. And often the attack comes totally, uh, swiftly, and without any notice whatsoever. And if I'm not submitted to God when the attack comes at that moment, I'm in that battle all by myself, myself rather, and I will continue in that battle by myself as long as it takes for me to submit. I'm fighting that battle alone. The only way to be prepared for the spiritual battle that is around you right now is to be submitted to God and to his plan and to his power every moment of every day, all the time. I need to wake up in the morning, and the first thing I need to do is say, Lord... My will is yours. You take my will and you do whatever you want to today. My will is your will. Throughout the day, I need to stop myself every so often and affirm my submission to him and to his plan and to his power. Lord, I am still submitted. Whatever you want to do is fine. It's all yours. And at night before I go to sleep, I need to communicate to the Lord that I am submitted to him. No matter what he calls me to do, no matter what he requires of me, no matter what I find myself in the middle of, Lord, it's all yours. You just take it. I don't want any part of it. Lack of submission doesn't just put us outside of God's will. It does that, but not just that. Lack of submission to God also puts me in the battle all by myself, and he's nowhere around. Because he says, okay, if you think He handles by yourself, have at it. <laughs> you don't want to submit to my plan, follow your own plan and see how that goes. Uh, in the work that I do outside of this place, of course, here as well, uh, I talk to folks all the time. Who have no joy, have no victory, have no peace in their lives whatsoever. And I think the majority of the time that is true is because that believer, in one part of their life, in all their life, simply refused to submit to God. I can't reinforce you how important this is. And I've been doing this to myself all week long. <laughs> I can't reinforce to you that people have problems in their lives because they refuse to give God complete and total control and they refuse to submit every requirement that he places upon them to to his will. And then they wonder why they struggle wonder why they can't get the battle won, why they go through these struggles over and over and over and over. The only way to have fulfillment in the Christian life and the only way to have victory in the spiritual warfare that rages on around you is to submit yourself fully and completely to the Father's plan in every aspect and with every requirement. Submit, 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 submit. Anything less and you're living life by yourself. And you're taking no advantage of the help that God offers to you and the strength he provides to you. So submission to God keeps us in God's will. Submission to God keeps us from sinning against other people. And submission to God keeps us within the power that we need to fight the battle that Satan brings to us. And so not to be offensive, because I'm sure none of you would do this, but just in case. Only a fool would choose to live their life by their own rules and under their own control. You have to be a fool to do that. No offense. Unless you're doing it, then offense taken. (laughs) Nothing to gain and everything to lose with that approach. Now, notice what the devil does when you do that. Look at the verse again. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will what? Flee from you. He's going the other direction when that happens. Uh, Now, I remember an episode of the Andrew Griffith Show. Where Barney was standing up to this group of ruffians, these wrongdoers. He was doing his Barney Fife thing, you know, just how, how Barney does it. He thought these guys were really afraid of him, really like, like intimidated by him. He didn't realize Andy was standing behind him. <laughs> and those ruffians weren't concerned about Barney. They were concerned about Andy. They were reacting to him. Well, that's a stupid illustration, I realize, but I'm good at those. But that's a picture to keep in mind when you're faced with the devil. Just keep that picture in mind. <laughs> You resist him, and Satan flees. He's not fleeing from you. He's fleeing from who's behind you. (laughs) That's who he's running from. He's not fleeing because of us. It's because God's standing behind us and is backing us in the battle that we face as we submit to him. Now, let me park here for a second. I want to give you the picture of Satan from Scripture. I want you to turn to Job chapter 41. I want you to see what Satan looks like in the Word of God. And we're not going to read the whole chapter tonight. We could. It would be an interesting study. We're going to do that here in a little while. But uh, look at Job chapter 41. Look, we'll begin reading in verse 18. Now, this chapter is talking about the Leviathan. But it's very clear as you begin to get into this. This is not talking about some sea creature. This is talking about Satan himself. And this passage is kind of describing for you what Satan looks like and how he operates and just how he, how he presents himself. Uh, begin reading in verse 18. Let me let's just go through this for a few verses and see what it says. It says by his sneezing, that's his sneezing, he sneezes a light doth shine when he sneezes as fire. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils go a smoke as out of a seething pot or a cauldron. His breath kindle the coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is firm as a stone. Yea, as hard as a piece of a nether millstone. When he raises up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the havergain. Look at verse 33. <coughs> Upon earth, there is none like, none, there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. Amen. That's your enemy. And that's just a portion of that. The whole chapter, if you want to read it sometime, you'll see the whole picture. That's your enemy tonight. Now, here's your choice. You can choose to face him yourself, or you can choose to let God face him for you as you submit yourself to him. And if we submit ourselves to God, uh, here's the second thing I want you to know. Go back to the book of James now and look at chapter 2. We looked at this a little while ago. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse 19. So that's my enemy. I submit myself to God. And look at verse 19, says of James chapter 2. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou believest well. The devils also believe and what? Tremble. (laughs) Tremble. You see that beast there in Job chapter 41? You see that fearsome foe that's presented to you there in Job chapter 41? That beast is afraid and flees and trembles when God shows up. The most fearsome beast on this earth. And when God faces that foe, that foe trembles. That's the kind of power God has. That's the kind of awesome, unlimited power your God has. And when I submit myself to God, like Barney, I may face the foe, but Andy's behind me. He's facing him down for me. And that foe was no part of that God that you serve. No part whatsoever. And God has the power to take that foe and make him flee without even breaking a sweat. Satan just sees him and goes the other direction. My, what a God we serve. (laughs) What a God we serve. So you're in the battle and you're in the battle every day, whether you know it or not. Hopefully you know it, but you're in the battle every day. What do I do? I submit myself to God and then I resist the devil. And then look at verse eight, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What's the next thing I do? I get as close to God as I possibly can. (laughs) I get myself as close to my God as I possibly can. I get myself so there's no space between us. So I can do it. I do everything in my power. I remove everything in my life that might in any way create a separation between me and God. Now, as I do that, sadly, I can't get totally close to him. I've got this sin nature and this sin nature repels against God because he's holy And so, therefore, no matter how nigh I draw to God, there's all of some space that remains between us. But I've got great news for you, folks. Look at the next part of that verse. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. (laughs) You know what God does? God makes up the rest of the space. I get as close to him as I possibly can. I've gotten as close to him as I can. And when I do that, God makes up the difference. When I make every attempt that I can to get as close to God as I can, God honors that effort by coming the rest of the way toward me. <laughs> and I'm just enveloped in God at that point, surrounded by him. You know what starts that process, folks? Submit. 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 That process starts with me submitting to him. All God wants you to do, folks, please hear me. All God wants you to do is submit your will to his will. He just wants you to take your will and place it under his control. And once I do that, God does all the rest of the work. He takes that foe and stands behind me and chases that foe away and envelops me in his grace, in his love. He comes so close to me. He stands with me. He fights the battle for me. My enemy trembles and flees from me as a result. So here's the question we're going to close. Have you submitted every area of your life to the control of the Father? Have you done it? If you haven't, I wouldn't wait another second. When we pray here in a minute, I would... Pray, Lord, it's all yours. Every part of it, all of it. I'm going to give it all to you. I would do that now. I wouldn't wait till I got home. I wouldn't wait till tomorrow morning. I'd do it now. Because if you don't do it now, and there's some part of your life that is not submitted to him, you're fighting the battle all by yourself. And Satan knows that. He'll jump you. He'll attack you in the dark alley when you're not expecting it. And down you'll go. No reason to face that foe yourself, folks, when you can have the power of God fighting for you. All it takes is give him full control, and if you will do that, he will handle all the rest. (laughs) Let him do it.